How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. I think that we can be grappling with really big existential questions and there is a reclamation of joy and peace that is our birthright and I think also our duty for being here on this earth school and having a physical human experience. And that's where we actually want to support our physiology so that we're not quite so friable and we can have a more grounded stance as we look at the big existential questions in the world. You're listening to Make Some Noise Podcast, episode number 579 with guest, Dr. Ellen Vora. Welcome to Make Some Noise Podcast, your guide for strategies, tools, and insight to empower yourself. I'm your host, Andrea Owen, global speaker, entrepreneur, life coach since 2007, and author of three books that have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a lesson that will help you maximize unshakable confidence, master resilience, and make some noise in your life. You ready? Let's go. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you're here. Dr. Ellen Vora's last episode was one of my most downloaded shows. So buckle up. <laughs> she's just, she's such a smart human. I love her work and I love her as a human. So I encourage you to go back and listen to the first one if you haven't already. We will put that link at the bottom of the show notes for you to go have a listen. That one was all about anxiety. And we talk about that a little bit, we talk about that a little bit, but since we already covered it in the first one, I wanted to bring something very specific to this particular episode. And so it's kind of kind of a part two, a part deux, if you will. And I'm excited to, to dive in. And the only thing I wanted to announce is that I have an opening for coaching, spring. Spring is my favorite season. And if you're like me and you wanna start something new, you feel like it's a fresh start in spring, head on over to andreaowen.com slash links where you'll see the application link and also the page to go and like read more about it. If you're like, I don't know, I don't know what I would exactly bring, but I'm interested. It's all there, the cost, the application, it's all over there, andreaowen.com slash links. All right, let me tell you a little bit about our guest before we jump in. Ellen Vora, MD, is a board-certified psychiatrist, acupuncturist, and yoga teacher, and she's the author of The Anatomy of Anxiety. She takes a functional medicine approach to mental health, considering the whole person and addressing imbalance at the root. Dr. Vora received her BA from Yale University and her MD from Columbia University. So without further ado, here is Dr. Ellen. <laughs> Dr. Ellen, thank you so much for coming back. Uh, Andrea, it's so good to be back. I am so glad you're here. I, you were one of the archived posts that I did a few months ago on anxiety, and it's one of the most downloaded. Any episode that has anxiety in the title gets the most downloads on my show. So my audience is trying to tell me something. Isn't that something? Here Isn't we are. Isn't that something? I know. Well, of course, we'll we'll talk about your book in a second, but I, I DM'd you because... It, 
I wanted to have you back on to talk about this one particular thing. And I know that we'll probably get into a few more things if we have time, but you had, and we'll, we'll of course post the link in the show notes, but you had kind of reposted an article um, that Maureen Dow, what I think her last name is, wrote for the New York Times. And the title of it was Anxiety in, in the Age of Barbie. And you sort of were expanding on it. And I want to, if you don't mind, I love it when people quote me. So I hope you love it that I'm going to quote you. <laughs> I'm going to quote what you said in the caption. And then I would love for us to kind of jump, use that as a jumping off point to expand on. So here, here is what, what you said about this article. And I'm, I'm kind of, I've edited just a tiny bit out. So it might feel like it's out of context, but just, just bear with us, listener, bear with us. So you say uh, the two you know, insert aspects of anxiety that where you say, I think are the most significant are social media and phone use and are quote unquote, spiritually unmoored. Is that how you pronounce it? Mm -hmm. I have a hard time with that word. Spiritually unmoored society. But the author misses, as does everybody that is not a functional medicine doctor, a few major causes of anxiety in young women. Our food system in the U.S., which leaves everyone nutritionally depleted and inflamed while altering gut flora, compromising the gut lining, leaving people with leaky gut and systemic inflammation, our rampant endocrine disruptors that leave developing females in a state of estrogen dominance and hormone dysregulation, not to mention that this is the age many women start the birth control pill all of which can contribute to depression and anxiety. And the fact that the ubiquitously prescribed psych meds themselves, which can be life-saving, can also contribute to fragility by way of physical dependence, interdose withdrawal, been through that, it sucks, and <laughs> substance withdrawal. Anytime somebody discontinues meds, there's, of course, what a lot of I call, and by I, you, Ellen, purposeful anxiety in this age group as well, as they feel so viscerally connected to all that is wrong in the world and take on the burden of turning the ship around. So I'm going to end there. And I know that was, a, that was a lot, but before I even ask you a question, is there anything, cause this was like several weeks ago, is there anything you want to add to that or, or say before I dive in with my questions? No, let's let's dive in. You're like, yeah. I am the smartest. <laughs> what I said. That's what I said. <laughs> All right. Can we start with and I and I want to point people to to the episode that you were on before because we do we dive in a little bit to those types of things, but I want to dive in a little bit deeper on, on a couple of them that we didn't talk about last time. Don't hate me for asking this question, but as someone who I have an autoimmune disorder and so I, and also a child who was diagnosed with autism in 2013. And so I have heard about leaky gut and, you know, gut health. And then inevitably you will come across articles and experts saying it's not that important. There's no such thing as leaky gut. So it's, it's hard to kind of decipher. And especially like, I don't think that there's like one blood test that's like you for sure have leaky gut. Or, you know, put it under a microscope. So can you talk to us? A, like, a, I know that you like to back things up with research. Ha, ha, what what do we believe? What do we believe? Tell us everything about leaky gut. Set us straight. Yeah. So I'm so glad we're talking about this. There's so much to 
here's the trouble is that I, I went through the Western medical conventional allopathic training too. So I know it and I know what we're taught and how we're taught to think. And the fact is, I think that conventional medicine is on the wrong side of history. And when it comes to, when it comes to the reactive heroics that we can do after something has already hit the fan, like to get a cardiac catheterization or to uh, fix a broken, broken bone, we're the best. It's so good. Yeah. When it comes to the amorphous, chronic, inflammatory conditions, states of imbalance, I think we're really below average as health systems go around space and time. Um, Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, naturopathic medicine, I think they have a better grasp of how a body gets a little bit out of balance and how to nudge it back into balance. In conventional medicine, we just don't have the framework for that. And we do a bad job uh, with those kinds of conditions. In fact, we often make matters worse. So we're taught to be very evidence-based. Evidence itself is only as good as the inputs. And it's a system built around, can you test this patentable intervention, usually a medication, in six to eight weeks? And if you can, then the pharmaceutical industry, the biotech industry has put a lot of money behind that. We test it. We get enough of a um, positive signal that we can get FDA approval, and then it can be in the market and it can be a blockbuster. And if something doesn't lend itself to that conveyor belt, it's mm -hmm. not going to be part of the conversation. So when a lot of conventional doctors do a lot of um, the expression, well, there's no evidence for that. Yeah. But the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. And there's just a lot of things that fundamentally don't lend themselves to being studied in this way um, and aren't part of the conversation. And that's where we actually need to put down the medical journals and focus a little bit less on the evidence-based medical literature to back things up. And we need to go back to our understanding of the mechanics of the human body. We just need to go back to our immunology 101. We need to understand the human body and what's called biologic plausibility or like, does this make sense? Mm -hmm. And that's where we better understand autoimmunity for starters. So is that also a fancy way of saying you also need to listen to specific people's symptoms and maybe not what's showing up in their labs, like how someone feels and their experience in their body? So whenever we get told by a doctor, well, there's no evidence for that. To me, that's almost always a moment of medical gaslighting because you've basically have someone say, well, here's my subjective experience. Here's my sense of what's going on in my body. And when a doctor says, well, there's no evidence for that, they're effectively saying it's all in your head. You're crazy. Yeah. You're wrong. Trust me. And evidence-based medicine is a term we throw around a lot, but the true spirit of it is actually a pyramid where at the top we have the randomized control trial. At the top, top, we actually have meta-analyses of several randomized control trials. But at the bottom, we have anecdotal evidence. And it's actually part of evidence-based medicine. It's considered the least um, compelling, but it plays a role. And yeah. the fact is we have so much bioindividuality, we're all different, and mm -hmm. we need to listen for anecdotal subjective experiences because we don't understand it all yet. And yeah. so when somebody comes in and says, well, here's what's going on in my body. And then the doctor says, well, good news. Your labs look fine. You're probably just stressed, sweetie. Um, that's actually not helpful. <laughs> and that doctor is trying to get through their day and make the problem go away. But then we are just left completely disoriented. Like, well, that hasn't solved anything for me because I still don't feel well. 
And I think, you know, you said like, it, it's not helpful. I think it, it can be harmful by, by no, by no, you know, like direct trying to cause harm by the doctor. But I, in my experience, when that happened to me, and it's happened to me numerous times, but this last time it happened, I started gaslighting myself and thinking like, am I just making all these symptoms up? Am I just lazy? Like I couldn't figure out, you know, my lack of motivation and like not being able to do jack shit throughout the day. Like that was one of my symptoms. It was debilitating. And to hear like all your labs look fine. You know, maybe you're just depressed. Here's an antidepressant. It was disorienting. Like you said, it's just like, wait, maybe I am making it all up. Right. Well, and then there's the perimenopausal years mm-hmm. of symptomatology, which is so woefully misunderstood by the medical system and affecting about half of the population at some point in their lives and yeah, misunderstood, mishandled. And that's often a big one because it's a bucket that catches a lot of different symptoms that it's tempting for a doctor to dismiss them all as it's all in your head. Leaky gut, like what can you tell us about? I don't even know what the right question is to ask in terms of, you know, leaky gut and gut flora. And I, I, in my experience, I have found the landscape for quote unquote healing your gut is overwhelming. So if someone suspects that that might be maybe one of the, the causes of their anxiety, of any other symptoms that they have, where do they start? Like, should they start with their doctor? Should they, you know, maybe Eastern medicine, probiotic? Great question. So like a little bit of the science and then to answer your question, where do they start? Intestinal permeability, which is the more official medical term for leaky gut. uh, This is a real phenomenon. And for years, we had a really dismissive attitude in conventional medicine. We're like, that's not a real thing. It's a very established and real thing. I still, I still hear that. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. Well, we are like conventional medicine. When we are confronted with information that we're not familiar with, that we weren't taught, that we never read in a textbook, we are so for some reason our instinct is to say it's not real, mm-hmm. and it's just it's not that it's not real. You just didn't happen to read about it yet, <laughs> and so, and so intestinal permeability. It's variable person to person. There are certain genetic predispositions to be more likely to develop leaky gut under certain conditions, um, how likely your gap junctions are to get leaky in certain contexts like inflammation. Um, and and then within that, the conditions in the gut are going to impact whether or not you're having intestinal permeability and to what degree. And if you have a family full of autoimmune disease, that's usually a clue that you have that genetic predisposition. You're more likely to have leaky gut under certain conditions. There's a researcher named Alessio Fasano, I think was his name. He's Italian. I think he might have been based in Harvard when he did this really seminal study that showed that we have these three pillars that are the root cause of autoimmune disease. It's you need intestinal permeability, you need a stressor. Um, and then I believe you need the genetic predisposition. Okay. So you need those three conditions. When you're faced with, I know my gut is not well, I don't know where to begin. I can tell you where not to begin. Generally, it's not with a GI doctor. There are certain conditions. If you have blood in your stool, if there's concern for something like inflammatory bowel disease or even some kind of colon cancer or or something like that where you're going to want the big guns as an intervention, what we talked about earlier, the heroics to reverse once things have already gotten quite bad, conventional medicine is appropriate. For all of the more gradual states of of a cumulative imbalance, that's where you might want to work with a functional medicine doctor or a naturopath, and they're going to do a better job with this. And if you don't want to start 
at the level of seeing a practitioner, there's a lot we can do to gently nudge our gut back into a state of balance on our own. And the, the overall plan there is eliminating what's irritating the gut, adding in what soothes and supports the gut, and then creating the conditions for the gut to heal. And eliminating what irritates the gut is foods and certain microbes. And so we're all a little bit different. There's some likely culprits. For some of us, it's American conventional gluten. For some of us, it's dairy. Seed oils like canola oil are a kind of finally now not under the radar factor that we're talking about. And then certain microbes, like if you do have a parasite, if you um, do have SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, this is going to make it really hard to heal the gut. Adding in what soothes the gut can be foods like sources of beneficial bacteria like apple cider vinegar or sauerkraut or kimchi, things like collagen or bone broth, which help heal the gut lining. Ghee or grass-fed butter can be really good as food for your gut lining cells. And then even starchy tubers alongside fermented foods, which help populate the gut with beneficial bacteria. But then sometimes it's going to be certain supplements to help mm -hmm. sort you know, things like glutamine. And then creating the conditions for the gut to heal is the afterthought that nobody focuses no on, stress. but it's, it's a sine qua non. <laughs> it's a without which not. You can't heal a gut without rest, without creating the conditions for healing in the body, parasympathetic tone in the nervous system. And I think really critical is actually a squatty potty. I think most of us need some way of simulating the squatting position for bowel movements as a pretty critical way to start to get things back into balance in modern life. Thank you for that. I saw a functional medicine doctor it was supplements. Um, she even put me on Diflucan for a little while, which was helpful. And so many of my symptoms went away after I saw her and did the whole, the supplements. And I, and she did also tell me, you will probably need to do this again because you fall back on your old habits and just, you know, cause I have the predisposition and all that good stuff. So we need to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. With Shopify POS, you can accept credit cards, mobile payments, and every other major payment method, all with low fees and transparent pricing, starting on day one. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash noise, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash noise to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash noise. I first gave AG1 a try because I was feeling low energy and sluggish and coffee just wasn't giving me what I needed. Especially in these winter months, I struggle with pep in my step. And since drinking AG1, I felt more energized and focused. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. Because aging is a part of life that we all have to deal with, but I don't think it should prevent me from doing the things I love, like going on long hikes with my dog. 
I want to do the things that matter to me for as long as possible, which is why I drink AG1 every morning to support my brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm laying the groundwork for long-term health. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process so you know it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to have them as a long-term partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com noise. That's drinkag1.com noise. Check it out. All right. I had, I want to ask you about the purposeful anxiety and, you know, the carrying the weight of the world on, on your shoulders. I actually had someone DM me and was asking about what she called climate anxiety and what she sees as a lot of, especially, you know, the younger generation feeling the anxiety specifically around climate change or, uh, you know, whatever else is, is going on in the world that they feel hurt around. So, how do you, what is your advice for people to manage the balance of taking action on causes that matter to them and 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 also feeling like they need to solve the world's problems and the anxiety that that comes with it so i wonder if i'm going to trigger people with my response to this so the central thesis of my book is that we have true anxiety and false anxiety where false anxiety or avoidable anxiety is anxiety based in the physical body it's something has tipped us into a stress response it could be a blood sugar crash or an extra cold brew coffee or a bad night of sleep and or a hangover and we are suddenly in a stress response we subjectively experience that as anxiety and it's unnecessary suffering we can identify the physical cause of this anxiety eliminate it and walk away from a lot of unnecessary suffering. True anxiety, on the other hand, is purposeful anxiety. It's not what's wrong with us. It's what's right with us when we're able to viscerally connect to what's wrong in the world. So I think the younger we are, the more we viscerally connect to the suffering around the world. I think as we get older, we get concretized, we're hardened, we're almost calcified, like we don't feel it quite as much. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the young people of the world right now carry a big burden of true anxiety. I think they actually also carry a huge burden of false anxiety. I think they're very physiologically out of balance because our modern world has just gotten more and more deranged as they've come of age. Bombardment too of news and information. Exactly. And so information and fear-mongering media, but also endocrine disruptors and and seed oils. So they're inflamed and they're surrounded by fear and they have social media to reckon with. And so I think it's really hard to balance those two things. And I think there's a little bit of a a chicken or the egg going on. On the one hand, the, the true blue way to handle true anxiety, like climate anxiety, is to let that anxiety fuel purposeful action show up in some way. Will you save the whole world individually? No, but of course, like it's the only way we will is a collection of individuals. Mm -hmm. But I think that once you are actually not just being like a, what do we call it? Like a thumb activist, like it's not just social media, Uh anger, keyboard warrior, right? So once you're actually showing up and taking action in any way, we don't feel quite so mired in anxiety. But I think that there is a bit of a chicken or the egg happening where all of that false anxiety is contributing to our despair. And so I think we're really at a moment right now where we all have to seek and find our own balance of where are we in faith and where are we in fear. 
And I think that it's a personal question and there's a lot of spiritual bypass risk with this conversation, but I think we all just have to explore that concept. And sometimes our climate anxiety is driving the rest of our anxiety. And sometimes the rest of our anxiety is driving a more obsessive approach to climate anxiety. I'm not here to say it's not critically important and urgent, yeah. but I think the fact that we can't find joy or any peace in our lives has more to do with, we fix that on the level of the false anxiety first. Because I think that we can be grappling with really big existential questions and there is a reclamation of joy and peace that is our birthright and I think also our duty for being here on this earth school and having a physical human experience. And that's where we actually want to support our physiology so that we're not quite so friable and we can have a more grounded stance as we look at the big existential questions in the world. Friable. I love that. <laughs> very, very, very true. Okay. Kind of switching gears here a little bit, but I wanted to touch on several of the points that you made in that particular Instagram post. If someone feels like their hormones may be causing their anxiety, but again, their labs are coming back normal, what can their next steps be? Does this go back to the conversation around seeing a naturopath or or is it something else? Lab testing for hormones is notoriously useless because hormones change minute to minute. It's a snapshot of a minute of something that's constantly changing. So it really doesn't tell us all that much that's useful. There, there are certain assessments. If you're looking at polycystic ovary syndrome, there are trends that you can look at that can be indicative of a certain diagnosis. But overall, hormone testing is not going to tell you like, yeah, your hormones are off. I, I think that we should operate from an assumption that most of us in modern life have some degree of quote unquote hormonal imbalance, let's call it, um, until proven otherwise. And if you're not getting your period like clockwork, if it's not a reasonable period, like not excessively heavy or excessively scant bleeding, if you have excessive cramping, if you have excessive mood changes, like all of these are an indication of imbalance and acne, things like that. If any of that is going on, that's a degree of hormone imbalance. And it stands to reason because we are bombarded with endocrine disruptors because we even have residue of birth control in our municipal tap water. So even if we're not taking it ourselves, we're getting that exposure. Um, so from plastics and pesticides and forever chemicals in our yoga pants and personal care products and makeup and perfume and soap and cleaning products and all of this, we're getting exposed to so much xenoestrogen and so many endocrine disrupting compounds. And then at the same time, because we're chronically stressed and all a little bit low-key malnourished because of modern life and our modern food habits and our modern food landscape, we also have a relative deficiency in progesterone. So a ratio of estrogen progesterone that might have felt like a good balance, we now have effectively way too much estrogen and way too little progesterone. So we have this different gradient and it throws our bodies off. And so I think we're all really struggling with some degree of, of hormone imbalance. And what we want to do is gently nudge ourselves back toward balance. And it doesn't have to be super high tech, like swapping out gradually as you can afford it, as you can tolerate it, all of the conventional products for, you know, basically don't clean your house or put something on your skin that you wouldn't eat, something that's real and it's not going to mess with your hormones. Gradually swapping out plastic for glass with food preparation, 
and then moving towards a more nutrient-dense diet. So you're getting the things that help your body make progesterone, even things like cholesterol from egg, from egg yolks, healthy fats in the diet, more sleep, more rest to help your body make progesterone and not always be making cortisol instead, which is our stress hormone. And then um, making sure that you're having regular bowel movements, some degree of sweating in a sauna or through exercise so that you're helping your body metabolize and get rid of estrogen metabolites. And I think that that's ways to just gently nudge yourself back towards better hormone balance. If you're taking something like a hormonal birth control, then you're already by definition kind of in a state of imbalance. So that's a bigger project and a different project with considerations around what's the right contraception for you or what are the indications for why you're taking it. So it can be a more complex conversation, but um, most of us, I think, are dealing with some degree of imbalance. And that's just in this squarely in the reproductive years. Once we're perimenopausal, it's like, you know, it's a basically consistently inconsistent. Same shit, different day. (laughs) Oh God. Yeah. We need to take one more ad break. So we'll be right back. What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? I mean, that's what this show is all about, right? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you can do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel has over 16 million subscribers sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. Their courses are so convenient and have helped me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's so easy to learn how to order food. That's where I get the most excited to use it at Mexican restaurants or ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while on vacation, etc. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash noise. Get 50% off at babbel.com slash noise, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash noise. Rules and restrictions may apply. Bills and other things to pay for don't just come bi-weekly, and neither should your paycheck. The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earnin. Earnin is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. You can use Earnin for unexpected doctor visits, vet bills, or even extra self-help books. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in noise under podcast when you sign up. It's really helpful to the show. Noise under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC.
I want to ask you about, because we've mentioned endocrine disruptors a few times, and I don't think we talked about it the last time you were on. Is there anything that, because I trust you with my life, um, that we should stay away from that you see a lot happening that maybe people don't know is such disrupt in the endocrine system? So it kind of depends on what phase of this journey you're at. Like maybe you're like perfume, for example. We we think say it is so, so it's so benign, but fragrance, perfume, you know, when you see that in the ingredients, like that, that's an endocrine disruptor, typically. And and certainly the cleaning products matter, the kind of water we're drinking matters, makeup matters. The one that I didn't get hip to until extremely recently was that the clothes that we're wearing, and this is the part where when a functional medicine doctor is talking, you just like stop the podcast and you're like, oh, enough already. I'm not, this yeah. is driving, this is making okay. me more anxious to think about, <laughs> right? So you, you do this as, as you can tolerate it, right? I did 15 years of swapping out products and making sure I was eating in a different way and healing my gut and, and sort of gradually creating balance. And it was only now in my mid forties that I'm like, is wearing plastic like not ideal for hormones? And so now I've actually gone through my closet and just taken note, what's cotton, what's wool? What's 100% polyester? I had no idea before. I was just wearing so much plastic. And when you're wearing something plastic and you sweat or you are out in the rain, when there's water, it's, it's making it a lot easier for you to absorb that through your skin into your bloodstream. And so we just wanna be somewhat conscious. And this is where like our grandparent generation would be like, I didn't eat organic or pay attention to this and I turned out fine. And it's like, but Monsanto didn't exist. Your tap water didn't have birth control and Zyprexa in it. And your, your clothes were real materials that came out of the earth. These days we are living in a plastic chemical world. We have sold out to the highest bidder. There's nobody taking our safety into consideration with all this. So we actually have to be advocates for ourselves. Yeah. So going through your closet, maybe the first step is just knowing what in there is real material and what is plastic. Mm -hmm. And then maybe you start to nudge yourself towards slightly different choices. I thought maybe I had to go do some kind of big expenditure and buy a bunch of new clothes, but it turns out all I had to do was take the things out that were plastic and just rely on the remaining things that yeah. were already cotton or wool or linen. And then it actually simplified my closet and makes life a little bit better. Yeah. And just don't dry it. That's just, <laughs> laundering might be a little bit different just because it ruins the clothes and they last a lot longer when you don't put them in the dryer. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Quick tip there. It's mm. in the butt. But anyway. Do you know in your travels uh, if there is any, are they seeing any long-term effects? Because I know the birth control pill became available, I think, in the 1960s. And I started the pill in 1991. I was on it for 16 years. Are they seeing any, I know it's like the the consensus is like, don't, don't be on it. It's not as great for you as we thought it was. But is there any evidence that you're seeing or hearing long-term effects of women like me who've been on it for possibly decades? Like not in any fear mongering way or like saying like, you know, I put a spell on you and now like you've been, <laughs> there's you know, no coming back. <laughs> what can we do? Right? Like we've all been on it decades, multi-decades sometimes. I think that it's such a delicate balance. We have to navigate these choices truly with a lot of individual considerations, but there are effects of the pill. And, and I, I'm writing about this right now for my second book. And it's like, you know, this was touted as the key to the kingdom of female liberation. Yeah. And, and it did change a lot of things for the good. There's a lot of good that came out of it and, and gratitude to that. At the same time, we do now know that it does decrease libido, it decreases vaginal lubrication, and it can make some people more depressed and anxious. So it was the key to male sexual liberation. 
Um, but for us, we kind of lost our libido and our personhood all at the same time. And so, it, and that's not true for everyone. For one person, it might bring them so much relief from their symptoms and it can really be helpful for them. But if that's you, I know for me, I went on the pill in college. I promptly started crying every single day like clockwork, went back to that primary care doc and was like, I don't know, but I think it might be affecting my mood. I cry every day now. And I got the, there's no evidence for that, mm -hmm. a big whopping dose of medical gaslighting and an eye roll and dismissive attitude and a kind of like, well, if you really want to, we can try a different pill and see if you tolerate that one better. And it started me on a whole messy journey of lots of side effects and adverse effects from taking exogenous hormones. And I didn't come out of that fog until some like 17 years later when I finally went off hormonal birth control. And I was like, whoa, I don't have to feel depressed. I don't have to cry every day. This would have been helpful information 17 years ago. And so I bought it. I bought the line that the doctor said there's no evidence for that. And the fact of the matter is more women need to trust our own subjective experience. We know our bodies as much as this world encourages us to doubt it. And if you tolerate it well and it's helping you, great. And if you don't, that can be real. And you can push and advocate around that even if your doctor dismisses it. It sounds like the consensus of this whole episode is, is listen to your body. And uh, you're at ellenbora.com. And of course, we'll put that in the link to your, your book in the show notes and um, follow you on Instagram. I love all of your little tidbit reels and everything. And of course, li please listen to the episode that you were on before. Anything else you want to say before we close up that you want to either circle back to or, or just add on? Let's circle back to the Maureen Dowd article. Okay. Um, we're, we're spiritually unmoored and all of that. I think that the reason I felt the need to push back on that article was that it's such a grim outlook on female mental health. And every time we look at mental health as a genetic chemical imbalance, it suggests that it's our destiny and that we're stuck. Mm -hmm. And not only is that inaccurate and myopic, but it is our least hopeful narrative about mental health. So I just always want people to know that even if we look at the evidence basis, there's a long list of determinants of our mental health that we have some control over, how we're sleeping, how we're nourishing our bodies, the degree to which we have inflammatory molecules coursing through our bloodstream, all the way to how are we working through our traumas? Do we have community? Do we wake up with a sense of meaning and purpose? Are we being of service? Do we have ritual? These things all matter. And why focus on the part that says you're doomed? I prefer to focus on the part that says you can feel empowered and hopeful here. And, and I think that what that article really missed was that, yes, young women are up against so many factors that are influencing their levels of anxiety and depression, but the existential questions are not something to pathologize. I think that that's actually something to support. We need to get good at listening to that true anxiety and learning how to fuel purposeful action out of that. But we can't overlook the fact that there are a lot of physical factors that are getting us physically out of balance contributing to our mental health and there's something we can do about it thank you for circling back to that and and just kind of you know pointing out what why your response was was so specific and emphatic as well so the book is the uh, the anatomy of anxiety understanding and overcoming the body's fear response thank you so much for coming on again and everyone thank you for listening i appreciate that you choose to spend your time with me and my guests and remember it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye for now. 
Hey listeners, if you work for a company that does professional development, did you know that I offer leadership training, more specifically empathy and assertiveness and how it makes stronger teams? You can see more on my speaking page at andreaowen.com slash speaking, where there's also a contact button there so you can fill out that form and let's chat. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.